Well, thanks be to God for another opportunity to sit at the feet of his word and to be instructed by God's spirit concerning what really matters in this life. We have made the leap from Romans 4 to Romans 5. We'll, we'll spend three weeks in Romans 5, so we'll look at 1 through 5 this morning, 6 through 11 tomorrow, and, and then Lord willing, 12 through 21 the following week. And this is just good stuff. Really tightly compressed statements. I mean, I, you could really have a sermon series on just the first verse or sermon on each of the verses of these first five verses in chapter five. But we're going to look at the first five. So let us now hear God's word. Paul, speaking in the Spirit, says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for these beautiful, beautiful words. But God, we know that these words aren't just appealing to our aesthetic sensibilities, but they are given to us uh, to make us alive, to put sin to death and to bring new life to us. And so we pray that your spirit would be present, that he would help us to know the great benefits we have as the justified. We pray that you would give us hearts to hear this morning. We pray and ask this in Christ's name alone. Amen. Really thirsty this morning, so. We as Christians sometimes say or we sometimes hear that we walk by faith not by sight. And have you ever stopped to consider that? I mean, it sounds counterintuitive, right? Because in ordinary life, we most certainly walk by sight um, and maybe not by faith so much. If uh, we walked not by sight, we might run into a tree or we might walk into the middle of a busy intersection. I wouldn't want to be caught walking down Francis on a Friday evening with my eyes closed. You'd almost certainly have a guest preacher that next Sunday. But that's not what God's getting at, is it? We walk by, or you could even say that we live by faith. Faith in realities not perceptible to the senses like other things, either because they belong to history such as the resurrection of Christ, or because they are in heaven, like the Trinity or the holy angels, or because they belong to things which are yet to come to pass, which is really the work of hope, or because they have to do with profoundly inward realities and changes, things which are spiritual 
in nature. And this last category, this newness that God brings to pass in us, can sometimes be difficult to believe, can kind of be hard to see. Maybe we think it'd be easier if the good Lord caused a sixth finger to grow out of our hand. Maybe for us that might be a surer sign of God's work. But the Lord really does bring about new things in our hearts and in our lives. And a lot of the Christian faith is us simply growing and acknowledging that God is really doing the things that he said he would do and that he has done the things that he has said that he has done. And this morning we want to consider some of those new things that we now experience as the justified, as those who have exercised faith in Jesus and God has then imputed to us the perfect righteousness of his son so that on the last day we stand before the heavenly tribunal as those who are justified and not condemned. So what, you know, in other words, we're justified. Well, what follows? What follows? With three points this morning, because we have been justified, we now have a new relationship with God. Because we have been justified, we now have a new relationship with the future. And because we have been justified, we have a new relationship with the present. Couldn't quite fit the past in the uh, titling of these <clears throat> points, but that's okay. So let's first look at the kind of the logic of Paul's reasoning here in Romans 5, especially verse 1. Therefore... Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. The word therefore in verse 1 signals to us that what he's about to discuss follows as a result of what he's been arguing for up to this point, namely that we've been justified by faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone. And so he begins to describe to us the effects of of our justification, showing us that our justification is like an immovable and majestic tree that bears much fruit. And one choice fruit from this tree is named peace, peace with God, to be more specific. Now, this peace that Paul's talking about assumes that beforehand there was hostility between us and God, that in a very real sense, we were at war with him. We were hostile towards God, and God in his holiness and righteousness was justly opposed to us. Colossians 1.21 speaks of us who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Romans 8.7 says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. But God was also opposed to us. Psalm 11:5 His soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. But when we believe in Jesus, a totally new relationship with God commences one marked by the calmness of divine peace and not by the unrest of conflict. Commentator Matthew Poole, older commentator, he helpfully says of this peace that it is a Blessed calm lodged in our consciences, like as when Jonah was cast overboard, there followed a tranquility. This is that continual feast, a very heaven before heaven, 
in anticipation of glory. Love that. A very heaven before heaven in anticipation of glory. And this peace is the one thing needful. It's the only peace that can support us in time of trial in the world and in times of weakness in our Christian walk. When we walk through a time of physical or emotional suffering, when we are brought low through unmet expectations, when Satan tries to bring us to despair by throwing our sins in our faces, we can be greatly uplifted in our spirits because we are those who have peace with God. A man or a woman may have financial peace, vocational peace, relational peace, peace in every sort of feature and element and department of life, but if they do not have peace with God, then what do they have? Conversely, a man or a woman can have uncertainty or great leanness when it comes to the things of this life, but if they have peace with God, then truly they have everything, don't they? They have the one thing needful. So whatever you might have going whatever you might have going on in your life right now whatever it might be that may be bringing you unease don't underestimate the power of this reality that you are at peace with God God loves you you are well pleasing to him take that blessed and heavenly reality with you wherever you go but our justification by faith also brings us access to God. Whereas before we were barred from God's presence, much like our first parents were barred from the Garden of Eden, now the cherubim's flaming sword has been removed and the way of life has been opened to us in a definitive way. And about this access, notice three things in our text. First, this access is through Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith. Christ himself is the door that leads us to the Father's presence. Second, our access to God is by faith, not by faithfulness, by faith. There's a difference between heaven and earth here, between faith and faithfulness. If our access to God was determined by our faithfulness, then our access would ebb and flow with how we were doing that week, with how maybe attractive we can make ourselves look to God. But that's not the case. It is by an outward-looking trust in Jesus, to Jesus, in His blood and in his righteousness, not our own, that brings us the free access to God. And finally, take note that we are those who stand in the grace of God. We stand firm. We stand steadfast. We hold our ground against the winds of the world and the wiles of the devil by the grace of God. And there's a beautiful instance of this in 2 Corinthians what is it? 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 9, where the apostle says, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. We might be knocked down by things, but we, by grace, are not knocked 
out. We stand by grace, and because we have such free access to God through our Lord Jesus Christ, let us all be encouraged to approach Him in prayer, whether that's to bring a need before Him or to to give thanks to Him for the good things of this life or the good things of redemption. Let us take advantage while we are in these bodies and have this soul of communion with the Lord. Christ has gone to great lengths to make us be able to have that free access. Okay, well, moving on, because we've been justified, we also have a new relationship with the future. A new relationship with the future. Not getting into sci-fi or anything like that, but we have a new relationship with the future. Uh, Motion City Soundtrack, an early 2000s alternative band. If you want to know what your pastor used to listen to in high school, okay, it was one of the bands. Uh, They wrote a song entitled, The Future Freaks Me Out. And in it, there's an expression of nervousness and hesitation concerning the future and the direction that modern culture is headed. There's a, a lyric, what's up with will and grace? I don't get drum and bass. The future freaks me out. So I think if you remember the late 90s, early 2000s, I think it was NBC, that, that show Will and Grace. It was an openly homosexual person, and this was not very much a mainstream thing uh, as of yet. And so, you know, here's an instance of a secular band, you know, uh, expressing hesitation about the things that are showing up in the modern media. And I think drum and bass, you know, I think of all the different kind of new musical sounds and genres you turn on the radio these days, and you can hear some very strange sounds. So I think there's something relatable about this song. We can be unsettled by the future of the world at large when we consider the moral deterioration around us, whether in our educational or political institutions, in the media, or we can simply be unsettled by just how fast things seem to be changing around us, maybe just with technology and the way people dress, cars, things like that. But we can also be unsettled by our own individual futures, our health, our finances, our loved ones, the status of our goals or our dreams. But through our new relationship with God, our attitude towards the future is fundamentally changed. And it's changed in such a way that unsettledness and nervous anxiety does not, cannot define the core of our attitude towards what is to come. The apostle says that we instead rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And the word used for rejoice here uh, is the same word used in the next verse. It has the sense of to take pride in something, to boast, to glory, to pride oneself, or to brag. The same word is also used in chapter 2, where the Jews boast in the law, in their possession of and their obedience to it. So for us who are disciples of Christ, we rejoice, we boast, we take pride, not in ourselves and our own plans, but we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. This is a godly boasting. The Word of God says that the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. 
In the last chapter, you'll remember that Paul touched on hope, how Abraham could hope in God's seemingly absurd promise because God actually had the power to bring it about. And here the apostle begins to unfold what it is that we hope in. And when we get to chapter 8, we'll get a fuller picture of what hope is. But he, he continues that description of hope here in chapter 5 as well. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And when we look at the New Testament, we see this anticipation kind of has a twofold meaning or a twofold application. On the one hand, we greatly anticipate the revelation of the glory of God on the last day. From the benediction in the book of Jude, we hear this, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. We look forward to beholding the radiant splendor of God's majesty with our very own two eyes. That day is coming. You can count on it. Place your hope in it. But we also eagerly anticipate our glorification or our transformation, where in our bodies and in our souls, we will reflect the very glory of God. We await when weakness will be turned to strength, when corruptibility to incorruptibility, mortality to immortality, and sin to perfect holiness. Now, it's important for us as Christians to ground our beliefs in the scripture, especially when it comes to belief in the end times and kind of what happens after death and the end of the age. There's this rampant speculation about these kinds of things, TVs, movie, music, but also even in the church. <clears throat> and so we, I'm going to share a couple verses with us that explicitly describes what we have to anticipate um, when we you know, think about rejoicing in hope of the glory of God. We want to be Bible-believing Christians. We want to stake our all of our belief system and our actions in the scripture. 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. Romans 8, 30, And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Notice the, the relationship there between justification and glorification. All those who are justified are those who will be glorified. 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Philippians 3.21 speaks of Jesus who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. And finally, there's way more, but for this morning's sake. Finally, Colossians 3, 4 says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Friends in Christ, we really have something to look forward to, something that the world has no sense of, something that the world cannot hope for. But really, I mean, these things should produce dread in the heart of the unbeliever. But for us who are believers, we rejoice in this hope 
of the glory of God, and we are participants in this hope because we are justified. You know, we talked about justification for a good bit, um, but for good reason, because it is so important, because out of that justification, out of our union with Christ, flow so many benefits and blessings and hope being one of those. And our hope has a way of bringing to the present those glorious things of the future. In light of this, I encourage you, friends in Christ, to not fear the future. Don't let the future freak you out, as we heard earlier. Whether it has to do with the world at large or whether it has to do with your own individual and personal life. Our future is bright, so let that light begin to bring light to your circumstances today. And return to your hope often. If you find yourself discouraged, return to your hope. If you find yourself feeling empty, return to your hope. If you find yourself feeling alone and uncertain, return to your hope. Things feel chaotic in the world and in your heart. Return to your hope. It is God's gift to us. Now, finally, because we have been justified, we have a new relationship with the present. A new relationship with the present. We rejoice in our hope, but notice we also rejoice in our suffering. And verse 3 says, more than that, you know, more than this hope in the glory of God, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. And I just love how down to earth and realistic the Bible is. The Word of God does not gloss over your sufferings and my sufferings. It doesn't pretend that they don't exist as if somehow Christianity equals the absence of hardship or difficulty in this life. But we have to admit, and I think it's okay to admit this, it is a strange thing to say, isn't it? It's a strange thing to hear, that we rejoice in our sufferings. Maybe another evidence that the Bible is an otherworldly book. Now, the same word that's used in verse 2 for rejoice uh, is the same word we just looked at, um, or rather the same word here is the same word used in verse 2 two for rejoice and has that that sense of to glory in or even to boast in and normally we think of our sufferings as a meaningless evil something that has no silver lining running through it or any redemptive qualities or, or value to it but we know see in verse three we know that suffering has a higher purpose. He's not saying, yeah, I think we have a good idea about this, or, you know, I think this is true, or I heard from the Buddha, you know, or from a YouTube influencer that this is true. You know, no, we have a direct revelation from God himself, which means that we can know for certain that our sufferings are put to use. Our suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. In the world, apart from any saving faith and union with Christ, our sufferings lack any overarching purpose. They're inexplicable, and they actually uh, eventually break down rather than build up our character. The atheist 
existentialist Friedrich Nietzsche, 1844 to 1900, said, Out of life's school of war, what doesn't kill me makes me stronger. You've got to be careful who you quote. This is a really popular quote these days. Nietzsche actually said it. Um, you know, but it's kind of in the air now. We, we kind of like that saying. I've even heard it used in a popular Christian song on the radio not too long ago. But there's no divine promise to ground that belief. There's no real reason to believe that it's actually universally true, but the infallible, inerrant, and inspired Word of God tells us that we know that our sufferings make us stronger, that they produce godly character, and that, that this character produces hope, that for those who love God, all things work together for good, including our suffering. Now, we're not asked to go out and look for suffering, but Scripture does ask us to believe that our trials are not meant to destroy us, but to mold us into godly We'll close with what has to be one of the most beautiful passages in all of Scripture, the end of our section here in verse or in chapter 5. After talking about the way that God puts our suffering to work, he closes, And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. In the midst of our trials and tribulation, we're reminded that God lavishly, generously pours out his divine love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Don't think raindrops you know, on a windshield, but rather think of a loud rushing waterfall. And the Spirit supernaturally works in our hearts, in the very core of our being, in the very center of of our personality to confirm to us and to remind us that God is affectionately committed to us, to each of us individually, and so to each of us sitting here this morning who have placed their faith in Jesus. As I said when we began, it can be difficult to imagine that all of these things are true of us. But as one Swiss writer has said, and I think helpfully said, let us dare to know what God knows. Let us dare to know what God knows. And when we dare to know what God knows, when we take him at his word, we discover the truth. And when we know the truth, the truth will set us free. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the truth that you have disclosed, not just about yourself, not just about the world, but about who we are as the justified. We ask, God, that you would cause these truths to penetrate our sleepy minds and our sleepy hearts, that we might truly live as humans were meant to live, in fellowship with you with a consciousness of your divine love and presence. We thank you for these things that we have heard this morning, when, and we pray that you would seal them upon our heart. We love you, Lord. We thank you for the redemption we all have in Christ our Lord. Help us to know how to walk in gratitude for that great love for us. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.